If spending time with Let's Discuss is something you value and enjoy, it would mean so much to us if you'd be able to take just a minute of your time to do any or all of these quick steps before you dive in today. First, could you please follow or subscribe to Let's Discuss? Following the show helps ensure you know when fresh content is available, and you tuning into every episode is what helps keep us going. To follow or subscribe, go to the Let's Discuss show page on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, YouTube, or wherever you listen and watch our show, and tap the plus sign or follow button. When you're there, if you'd be willing to give us a five-star rating and a review, and share an episode you love with a friend, you'd really make our day. Sending you all the love. Please enjoy this week's episode. Let's Discuss is supported by Daily Harvest. It's easy to make fruits and vegetables part of your daily routine with Daily Harvest. Delicious, chef-crafted foods delivered to your door and ready in minutes. I'm a busy mama who, admittedly, doesn't always make getting my daily veggies a priority, so Daily Harvest has taken a lot of that work off my plate. Organic, nourishing, clean foods with no artificial anything, ready to go in minutes, it's really a no-brainer. Use code Let's Discuss at checkout for $40 off your first box. Your mental health is your dopest self, but you don't have to tend to it by yourself. Get a tribe, get inspired, and you'll get ahead. Get someone to talk to, don't keep it bottled in. You're beautifully human, you should remember this. So it's okay for you to feel emotions. At times we all need to clear our heads. And when you do, just holler at Therapy by Meg. where we discuss some things perinatal and all things mental health. I am so excited. I have said it before. I have meant it before for other people. And I, we have learned so much together in our year and a half journey of this podcast. This is the one that comes back so much over and over again. So I am so excited. Natasia, they, she is a licensed marriage and family therapist and is nationally certified sex therapist through the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. They are a doctoral student in human sexuality at California Institute of Integral Studies and have served as an adjunct faculty at CIIS and the Wright Institute and currently work in private practice in Northern California. Committed to the development of social justice, Natasha's lens is working in working as a sex therapist is informed by feminist and queer theories and somatic and relational orientations psychotherapeutically, which I am so excited to talk about all of that. Natasha sees individuals and couples in private practice and has several groups, including living room, mother's meditation and conversational mindfulness based support group and two ongoing feminist sexuality process groups. Natasia has been an, a featured writer and speaker in publications, podcasts, movies, and blogs, including the documentary film, The Business of Being Born, and the books, The Ultimate Guide to Sex Through Pregnancy and Motherhood, and Nurturing the Family, A Doulist Guide to Supporting New Parents by Jackie Kelleher. Natasia's research is focused on long-term intimacy building as sexual fluidity during the life cycle is processed parallel to the processing of privilege, oppression, and social status. And this will be in the show notes. You can find more about her offerings at NatasiaMFT.com. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for taking your time to talk about everything that I just talked about in detail. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for reaching out to me. And it's also really amazing what you're doing, Meg, and what you're offering community on a very consistent and wide range basis. Thank you. That means so much to hear that I appreciate that very much. Um, yeah, I did. I actually reached out to a, another sex 
therapist who I met through another podcast guest. Uh And and he was like, I'm not the one you want. This is the person you want. And so then I was like, hi, hello, please join me. (laughs) And you were kind enough to say yes. (laughs) Oh, I'm, I'm grateful. Yeah. I'm excited. Absolutely. Yes. So tell me, how did you decide to become an MFT? Okay. Well, <laughs> take us back. moving right into it. So, um, therapy is so interesting, right? And I think people have a lot of different, um, roads that they take to go to, to become a therapist. Um, for me, I had a, a couple of careers prior to becoming a licensed therapist. Um, but I think my training really began during my college years in mm-hmm. the early 90s mm-hmm. when the nurse practitioner at City College of New York in Harlem mm-hmm. um, invited a group of um, students to train us to be peer health and, and sex educators mm-hmm. and counselors. Oh, wow. Um, and that was phenomenal work and and really a a kind of start for me on both um, understanding sexuality through a counseling lens and then understanding counseling and the wide reach of what sexuality actually might mean in people's lives. Um, And then I had about 12 years where I worked as a doula Um, and for some of that time, I also was a comprehensive sex educator and counselor, um, with the children's aid society, and then later consulting, writing curricula and training, um, staff at different nonprofits in New York city to become comprehensive sex educators for the populations they were working for. Um, during that time, I did an incredible amount of, um, you know, training, but also counseling. People were dealing with a lot of vicarious trauma. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As a doula, training other doulas, um, working with childbirth educators, lactation consultants, midwives, I was hearing a lot of vicarious trauma Mm-hmm. And because of my background, people started coming to me for short-term counseling. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then um, the final part of your answer is um, I started having chronic pain issues in my feet because of a disability that I'm acquiring as I'm aging. Mm-hmm. And so realizing that you know, I wouldn't be able to sustain doula work um, for the for the later years in my life. I realized, okay, so I've always wanted to continue learning. What's something that I can do that I think I can do well? And uh, this led me to becoming a licensed therapist. Wow, that's amazing. And what an interesting thing that you were talking about, the nurse practitioner having you all become peer health and sex educators. I mean, that's so exciting to hear that people are taking that seriously and finding ways for people to support each other. Um, And then of course that now led us to right here in this very moment where we're talking to each other. (laughs) Yeah, and if I may say, you know, it's hitting me like the work you're doing, the work she was doing, 
Um, and in some ways also, I really think about this with the work I'm doing, particularly in, in groups. Mm -hmm. mm. Adrian Marie Brown talks about emergent strategies, mm -hmm. ways of really working towards social wellness, kind of from the ground up. Mm -hmm. And I think that I started learning more about emergent strategies during that time in the 90s and um, kind of hope to never stop. Yes. Oh, lifelong learner. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. An activist. Yes. And that I was going to say, I'm, I am very excited to have that conversation, too. We can have it now. We'll probably have it throughout. But talking about like the places of privilege upon which I sit and I see some of the numbers about like people of color who give birth. Um, specifically mm -hmm. black people of color who are birthing people. And um, I don't know, I just, I, not to, not to sound hopeless and, di and dark, but like, I just never feel like I'm doing enough or like, what, what are things that we, a lot of us just kind of sit here, like, we know it's a problem. Mm -hmm. What can we do? And so that's what it's nice to be able to have some conversations like this, the people who are on the ground running to be able to help other people understand, to give a voice to it, to share, to showcase what's happening. And then, you know, if there are things that we can do to, to support as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I think what might be good is for us, because it's, it's a great and very broad question, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. so if I can keep that um, question in mind, which I'm really hearing as, um, how do we deal with issues related to privilege and social status mm -hmm. um, as well as marginalized identities mm -hmm. as we're going through our own lives? And in many cases, I think with the populations listening to this parenting journeys. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so walk me through a little bit more while we're going through the history. How did you decide to focus on somatic sex therapy? What was that that jumped out and was like, this is my, this is my trajectory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, we all have bodies. Right? We sure do. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, it seems to me like as someone who really likes to think, I, I absolutely adore engaging with the front brain, the neocortex, which mm -hmm. is the intellectual part of our brains. Mm -hmm. um, and my body has taught me a lot about how its presence knows a lot as well. And sometimes what my body is saying to me is in alignment with what I think. And sometimes it's really not. And there's always wisdom in those spaces. Yes. And so a kind of therapy which doesn't pay serious homage to our soma, mm -hmm. to me, is really short-sighted. Might develop some kind of intellectual insight, but uh, I'm not sure that it's really that holistic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other piece is relational. You know, the way we develop a sense of self is always in relationship to other. Mm -hmm. Yes, sure. And so the way we get injured or experience shame, um, like experiencing shame rather, that's in relationship to other 
as Sonia Renee Taylor lets us know, we aren't born with shame. Yes. Inherit that. And so the way towards healing and social wellness is really relationally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's like, you know, for me, uh, somatic therapy that, that brings the body into the experience of what is healing mm-hmm. and, and what is being communicated mm-hmm. as well as what's happening between either myself and the client relationally mm-hmm. or within the group or between the couple, that relationship process in the here and now moments is extremely rich. Mm is where healing can be actually felt in our soma in the moment. And then when we experience that healing, we can, we can have that transition into what we experience outside the therapy room. Mm -hmm. Wow. Absolutely. I love that. I love to be able to recognize every aspect of it. Not just like you were saying the intellect, I can't talk the intellect piece of it intellectualization yeah. what is going on with my mouth today okay anyway um of it all which is certainly an important conversation but then also to recognizing like when you're sitting with that tension and reckon like what is my body trying to tell me i say that a lot i feel like i say that a lot to people clients and my students i teach over at the university of kansas and like what is my body trying to tell me what am i supposed to take from this instead of saying trying to dampen it or dull it, or I shouldn't feel this way or ignore it, utilizing that and sitting in the present space and being able to say like, where do we go from here? And Mm -hmm. so that's interesting to hear that. Um, And can you tell me more too? I know I mentioned in your bio about the feminist and queer theories under which you operate sometimes. Can you share a little more about that as well? Sure. Um, I suppose it might really make sense to share... You know, when I was um, earlier and I'm trying to figure out how to how to kind of encapsulate this, and I think this might be a good segue. When I was doing doula work and I was asked to um, be filmed in in Ricky Lake's The Business of Being Born, mm-hmm. that was really interesting because I had already in my um, my collegial doula group and and perinatal professional world Mm -hmm. um what was happening in the the context of that film we were all very much and and feminists um had been working towards reproductive justice for a long time Mm -hmm. piecing together that um, capitalism and neoliberalism mm-hmm. uses sexuality to really control people. And part of using sexuality to control people absolutely is the um, the medical industrial complex and impacting how and where and the kinds of experiences people are having as they're um, pregnant, giving birth and postpartum. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned earlier, so adversely impacting um, femme bodies and of femme bodies, 
women of color and of women of color, black women in particular, three to four times more likely yes. to either die or um, have major trauma mm -hmm. during their birthing experiences. And this is systematic, it's structural, it's huge. Um, and that's where the idea of emergent strategies and how can we work, you know, like little by little um, and in relationship together. So that's kind of bringing in both queer theories and feminist theory, feminist, neither of those theories are am I going to do a good job encapsulating <laughs> to explain, but feminist relationality mm -hmm. is very, very significant. And for me, in terms of how do we recognize our differences? Right. And how do we find a way to relate with each other? Not pretending that we're the same, mm. really acknowledging the differences that we have and what, our life experiences are and that we can care about each other and we can work together for greater social well-being. You're right. And queer theory in, in a very short um, way uh, for the sake of this podcast. I mean, obviously people can major in queer theory. Yes, exactly. A life, so we're, yes, yes. Right. But, but, yeah. but the, the significance of saying, Mm -hmm. normativities mm -hmm. like yes. for instance yes giving birth in a hospital with an ob today is a normativity mm -hmm. that is structurally that way and the kinds of interventions that structurally happen mm -hmm. they're not happening because that is the safest thing for mm -hmm. the person's body who is in labor they're happening because economically it works for the systems yes and so queering notions of what's normative to say wait a second what's happening to marginalized bodies and what can we do to actually create greater social wellness centering marginalized bodies mm -hmm. so that's that's kind of like those kinds of um issues are pretty consistently um, my orientation and, and way of thinking about whatever subjects we're talking yes. about. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I really, again, I can't say it enough. People spend four years in a bachelor's and then a master's and you can do a PhD and all of this and much more than we have the time to yeah. chat today, but I appreciate you letting people kind of understand how that colors your vantage point and the way that you interact with people. And I liked how you talk, again, we talk a lot about um, trusting the person to be the expert in their own life. And I also really, um, you didn't use the expression colorblind, but like not being colorblind, like, oh, we're all the same. Oh, we're all human. No, we're not all the same. And let's acknowledge that and let's celebrate that and then make sure that we're making choices based on those differences moving mm -hmm. forward. So I really appreciate you kind of giving mm -hmm. us a little more insight into that. Cause I mean, I, I could sit here and talk to you for the next couple hours about it, but we'll... <laughs> Um, so I know I, this is kind of what I reached out to you in the beginning and, and certainly continue to morph in the conversation we're having, but I have so many listeners who've sent me messages, um, clients, obviously hip, I'm not going to give too many, any details, but just talking about the kind of struggle to feel themselves in their own bodies after having given birth, 
Um, what does that look like? What is something that you found in your experience that's been helpful to, for people to not necessarily try to get back to their old body? And don't get me started on how I feel about bounce back culture, but um, how do people work to recognize, like recognize the things that your body is telling you now? What is it like in this new body that has done this extraordinary thing? How do you feel comfort comfortable? How do you find comfort in that space? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very important question. And um, I I think it's really interesting that you even touched upon this notion of like, when will I get my body back? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Is, is so commonly um, so common in our culture. Um, when we, when will we feel like ourselves again? Mm -hmm. Uh, and also terminology, like nine months on nine months off. Yes. Yes. Um, if we kind of slow down a little bit talking about the perinatal time period. So perinatal conception, pregnancy, birth, the immediate postpartum, and then the postpartum years, which I, I really think are like two to three years. Um, if we say, you know, the perinatal time period, that's a transitional time period in our lives. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of interesting. What are other transitional time period time periods in our lives? Well, puberty is one, right? Mm-hmm as adults, we've, we've gone through puberty. So what do we know about puberty? Well, puberty, we could say is like a two to four year process, right? Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. another transitional time period. Mm -hmm. The defensive part of me quickly says, would anybody say to a 15 year old, when are you going to get your body back? Yep. Yep. Would anyone say to a 15 year old, why don't you just act the way you acted when you were 10? Amazing. I've never thought of it in this way. This is beautiful. Oh my gosh. Yes. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm just so excited about okay. this. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, I see like, you know, imagining someone saying that to your 15 year old self, no, And I, I know that with my teenagers, you know, it's a really sensitive time period, even after the majority of the physical changes have Mm -hmm. happened, it's such an emotional and unknown. And that brings me to a little bit of what we can learn from our infants. Mm -hmm. They're going through a transitional time period Mm -hmm. of being born. When a baby is, you know, looking around, they're just getting a sense of their body and they're learning what their hand is. They're learning what they can do. Even a toddler is learning no. And that is so significant because to be able to say no, you know what your yeses are. Yes. So, you know, I think that as we're going through the postpartum time period, it can be so daunting Mm -hmm. because we're not grounded. 
we're in transition. We're learning what putting our feet on the ground means Mm -hmm. and we're exhausted. Mm -hmm. And that's par for the course. And so, you know, the notion that it shouldn't be that way or that we should be ready to go back to work and be as productive as we were before we had the most major responsibilities we've ever had in our entire lives. Mm -hmm. It just, it really doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. You know? So, so if someone comes in and they say to me, you know, like, I feel awful Mm -hmm. and I, I just want to feel like I felt before what they're saying to me is that they're grieving Mm -hmm. and grieving makes absolute sense. Because mm-hmm. life is not as simple as it was two years ago. Right. It's totally different and it will never be like that again. Mm-hmm. And we need to be able to grieve as we're transitioning so that as that's processed, mm-hmm. we also can process the incredible place we might be in. Yes. Right? Yes. It, it's it's really a process. Mm-hmm. And I think for therapists or anyone working with parents who are in the early years of parenting, the work is really around holding space and normalizing mm-hmm. how messy and complicated this transitional time period is and just caring. Right. Absolutely. I just, I appreciate you saying that so much. I love likening it to puberty because it it is something it is a change that you can't go back to that's that's the before and this is the now and you're right because it would just sound frankly absurd for somebody to say well why don't you just act like you were when you were 10 before this happened and so but that expectation on birthing people is not there, the expectation is we. Uh, I had a guest on a couple um, episodes ago that talked about like MILF culture, right? And it's like, what do we do as women generally, like the feminine form, so that people think that we're worthy of having sex with? Mm-hmm. And so, after that's uh, what comes back to the bounce back culture, too, of like, oh, you got to snap back into that. You know, I, I saw recently a, you know, something popped up on my internet that said, um, 20 before and after actresses and their bodies and the amazing transformations. And I'm like, why is this even something that we're putting energy into as though there's anything wrong with somebody else who didn't make an amazing transformation in air quotes. Um, and so I love the idea of this puberty thing because that was a real tangible way for me to describe that to people in a way that really helps to normalize like, no, and that's, and that's okay. And you can grieve it. And you can be sad about some of the things and the freedoms and the other things that happened before that aren't there anymore. And also let's acknowledge where we are now. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I really love learning about, um, like, like using those whom we're around during the perinatal time period to teach us, mm-hmm. you know, with babies, we use terminology like overstimulated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's such a real thing, mm-hmm. being overstimulated. Mm-hmm. Yes. And parents get incredibly overstimulated. Yes. By all that is coming at them. 
And, and really like learning to help people realize when they're feeling overstimulated and then working on tools when we're overstimulated, it's like way too much at once. Mm -hmm. And we need some space to kind of like come back into our soma and feel even recognizing the way too much is such a fantastic recognition. Yes. And to use that recognition to create spaces where we can ground, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then let's see, there was something else that you just said. Um, oh, I think I might have lost it anyway. Well, if you it, think it about it, <laughs> I would say if you think about it, hop it right back in there because I'd love to, to talk more about that. Um, well, I, I really appreciate that because I think that just the more normalization, the, the less of the expectation, the societal expectation, the social media expectation, the more you don't have to be the insert supermodel here of it all. Your body is your body and it did an amazing thing. And let's figure out how we do feel comfortable in it moving forward. Like you said, getting back into the soma, recognizing the stimulation, the overstimulation. Absolutely. This episode is sponsored by Boogie Board, makers of award-winning reusable writing and creativity products. Say goodbye to messy whiteboards and expensive computer tablets with these super affordable alternatives, perfect for group or individual activities and exercises, including communication for non-verbal individuals and honing fine motor skills related to writing. Best of all, there is no charging necessary, no special pins or markers, and they're easy to store. I love my smart notebook for taking notes in the office so I can write down echo words during sessions with clients, then zoop, delete it all with a tap for full HIPAA compliance. Boogie Board has extended me an additional 5% off with my code Let's Discuss, which will apply to on top of their current 20% off sale on their smart notebooks for a total of 25% off. Best of all, this code will also get you 5% off everything else on the site. Check out all they have to offer and make your practice the best it can be at myboogieboard.com. Let's Discuss is supported by Mom and Bras. With a wide range of bras and bralettes available for chest feeding and pumping, Mom and Deck combines the functionality you need with style and comfort. My favorite is the Do Anything Bra, the perfect bra that supports chest feeding and pumping in one truly lovely and comfortable bra. Visit us.momanda.cc backslash let's discuss and use code let's discuss for 10% off your entire order of $40 or more. Can Simil I say one thing, Meg? Go ahead, go ahead. I, I think that's, that's what I wanted to touch upon was how do we recognize the Soma and mm -hmm isolating it can be to kind of notice your own stretch marks you know mm -hmm. um and feel your labia swollen mm -hmm. you know um be leaking when yes. you're in a business meeting mm -hmm. and i i think that part of the amazing invitation that we have is developing is figuring out where and how to develop community yes where there's a normalization that's occurring related to exactly where we are and what is going on for us mm -hmm. not these 
imposed images of what things should be like. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that's really like one of the most golden things I I think I might be able to share. Mm -hmm. Being with other parents who are really understanding the cloud of this time period Mm-hmm. and all of its nuances. I mean, it's why, you know, teenagers, the, the psychologically, we know that during the teenage time period, the first family really becomes the social circle that they have. Mm-hmm. It, it, their family at home is very significant, but during the teenage years, they're really spending much more time with their social network because that network is in the same cloud that they're in and yes. understands those nuances. Yes. And during the perinatal time period and other major life transitions like mm-hmm. perimenopause and the death and dying process, those having having people who are also going through that where you can process together mm-hmm. is infinitely grounding. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, I speaking for myself, I had a child and then eight months later, quarantine started. And so I, and we had also in that same time moved to Kansas city from Texas. So I genuinely can't imagine what I would have done and what my mental health journey would have looked like during that time. Had I not had a number of text groups of people who had kids in similar ages or older ages who had been there before and kind of had known some of the things because um, that isolation that we all felt, no matter what your season of life was during quarantine was compounded exponentially by the fact that, okay, well now they're starting to walk. What am I supposed to do here? And, you know, And, um, and then I had another baby during quarantine time. So absolutely. So it it is so helpful and it can be difficult. Like, how do you make friends? What do you, (laughs) um, but, but to be able to find more of those spaces and it is why I'm happy that places like, like social media do exist in certain places that do help us to feel normalized and, um, as, as terrifying and as hurtful as social media can be also having some of the spaces that really invite people to feel held and seen, um, are, are useful as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I wanted to jump in from that, um, kind of, again, trying to feel like yourself after birth physically, but kind of the sexual component of it, because I've had a lot of people as well, they're saying, uh, the idea of having sex doesn't feel as enticing. Uh, it could be scary, um, I don't feel like myself again, all of that. What are some things that you have found that have been helpful or useful or anything yeah. that um, your experiences have shown you in that area? Well, I think it's helpful to really think about if, if you've heard, or I've heard that, um, penetrative sex can feel scary mm-hmm. I think that it can be helpful to really consider that. And let's like, let me get graphic and flip the lens for a minute. Okay. Yeah, please. Yes. Um, and uh, add context. So um, if a man pooped eight to nine pounds of poop in one go. Mm-hmm. Okay. An eight to nine poop. 
pound poop would be really large coming out of the ANS. Yes. Yes. That would be a tremendous. I know it probably sounds gross. It's not a baby, but you know, that's a tremendous, that would be such a tremendous feat. <clears throat> and if that man enjoyed anal play, mm-hmm. I would bet that there would be some time period where he was relating to his anus in a very different way than prior to the eight to nine pound poop. Yes. And that suddenly anal play or even maybe just being sexual Mm -hmm. really feel different in his body Mm -hmm. and would bring up a whole host of different things. Like he might remember pooping the eight to nine pound poop. He might remember have early childhood memories of poop experiences. Mm-hmm. He might also have fond memories of anal play with his partner partners. You know, like a right. whole mezcla, a whole mm-hmm. combination. Right. Different kinds of thoughts and feelings would probably come in. And if he was starting to get into sexual play, He might even have a moment where he gets greatly overwhelmed Mm -hmm. because all these images or thoughts are coming in, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So I think this is essentially what, what people who have given birth are, are dealing with, right? Right. Yes. And I think their partners are often dealing with all of these changes as well. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we don't talk about enough. Like there's this um, storyline that we hold in our culture that the person who gives birth is scared to have sex or it has low, no sex drive. Mm-hmm. And the partner is ready and wanting to go back to what it was before and doing their patientness yes. to wait until, yes. you know, mom or, or partners ready. So what we aren't talking about is how partners have grown up objectifying breasts and vaginas, mm-hmm. maybe anuses too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, objectifying them for, for their sexual play. Right. And like the function is their sexual play of those mm-hmm. objects. Right. And suddenly during the perinatal time period, partners start to have a different relationship with the breasts, with the vagina, maybe also the anus. Mm-hmm. And then during birth and postpartum, the function of the vagina, of the muscles of the anus and of the breasts all develop a felt difference. Mm-hmm. And it has absolutely nothing to do with their body or their sexual pleasure mm-hmm. as they had thought about sexual pleasure before or been raised to think about it. Right. And so, you know, there's just, there's a very big thing that's happening in terms of reconceptualizing sexuality. Yes. And I think we see this certainly during puberty sexuality is kind of thought to be developing, right? First times Mm -hmm. during perimenopause and later in life, we see that sexuality absolutely 
absolutely is existent for many people, not talked about as much as I wish it was, mm-hmm. but that it is it comes in different forms. It's not the sexuality of the late teens or twenties or early thirties mm-hmm. is not that sexuality. It's so much more expansive, right? But we really have to get into a mindset of discovering what is sexuality at this time, because now we're in a new, a transition Mm -hmm. and we may want some of the things that we did before. And we also might feel really different with our body parts. Like maybe breasts are off limit right now, Mm -hmm. but oh my gosh, the small of my back or my inner thighs or your arm around me, mm-hmm. you know, like just really playing and experimenting. And I think that's where we lose a lot because we've got to kind of like get it in our heads. This is going to be new and different. Yes. And there might be some sorrow and there might be some not even realizing I had an expectation. Mm-hmm. We need a lot of communication. Consent is totally, totally working anew now. And um, guess what? We don't know if we have five minutes to talk right now or an hour. Because who knows when the baby is going to wake up. So processing has to happen in these like tiny little chunks. Mm -hmm. And something parents can do prior to giving birth, prior to even conceiving, (laughs) is really learn how to talk with each other about their preferences and also about their no's and how they feel saying no to each other and how they feel saying maybe to each other. And just regularly being in conversation around desire around pleasure around lack of and learning how to tolerate I am not going to be able to give you everything and that's also not my job Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and oh my gosh this was such a great moment that we could have that discussion yes that feels really good to me and now I kind of want to hug you yeah (laughs) You know what I mean? Like learning how to use emotional intimacy to create playful space Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and thinking about sex, Audre Lorde in uses of the erotic power of the erotic, um, reclaimed sexuality and in, and in part symbolized doing that through titling it life force energy. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that there's so much to learn about thinking about our sexuality as our life force, Mm. where our energy is and how we can share our energy. And here's the thing. Sometimes that energy is really positive and playful and pleasurable. Mm -hmm. And sometimes being able to exchange how upset we are or how you know, difficult this is and be really held in that. That's Mm -hmm. also a share of life force energy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. That is just such a beautiful way of looking at all of that. 
it's something that we just don't learn. We don't, I don't feel, I mean, I'm a social worker. I have a degree. I feel like now my husband, God bless him. He'll be like, no, he, he knows you're married to a social worker, but I don't even feel like some of those things are people that they don't even think to have those conversations. It's just, this is what we do. And I'm a man and I'm heterosexual. So your boobs are supposed to turn me on and I'm supposed to wait my six weeks until you're done. And then I'm going to have my, it's, it's just very that. And all of these layers that you're describing to it that are so meaningful for people to contemplate. I agree with you, certainly even before the baby comes, before you even start trying to have a baby so that you could understand. I really liked what you were saying about feeling comfortable saying no, feeling comfortable saying maybe, getting in that space where you can feel that this is a safe space for me to explore and also a safe space for me to hold my boundaries. Um, Very much that, yes. You know, and I can, I can share with you a little hormonally why that's so significant in terms of pleasure, Mm -hmm. um, which might be helpful for listeners. And then if you can help me after I do that, I'd really like to talk about um, bonding and difference and social status. Okay. Yes. Let's like pin that for a minute. But so the hormone piece, um, a great parallel to this is labor. So to, to drive, we need contractions that are getting longer, stronger, and closer together mm-hmm. for our cervix to open and for us to complete first stage labor. Mm-hmm. And the hormone that drives the strength and duration and frequency of contractions is oxytocin. Mm-hmm. Oxytocin is very, very interesting because as it's just starting to build up in early labor, for it to build up, our stress hormones have got to be very low. Mm -hmm. If our stress hormones are high, catecholamines, adrenaline, norepinephrine, if they're high, then what happens is it kind of closes the door on oxytocin. We're not going to go into labor because the the body is realizing conditions are not safe for me to go into labor. Right. So we need to have low stress hormones and be able to kind of like get in a zone for oxytocin to start increasing, increasing, increasing. As active labor hits, oxytocin has increased enough that we can now have some more stress and it's okay. And we can also tolerate more pain because with each contraction, we're starting to have endorphins Mm -hmm. released at the end. So now we can deal with more pain in a way that wasn't happening before. And for folks who had Pitocin, Mm -hmm. they will probably know that this was not true for them because Pitocin goes from zero to a hundred and your body doesn't have the chance to hormonally deal with us. Yeah. So this also happens for us sexually. Mm -hmm. Well, birth, I believe is a sexual experience, but in a context of being romantic sexually. Yes. When we are kind of realizing what it is that we're wanting and how it might go down and what the terms are We're developing conditions for safety so that our stress hormones can lower and our oxytocin can start to build. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And then guess what? As it builds more and more, all of a sudden we can get a little rougher with our play or experience a little bit more intensity with our play mm-hmm. because the oxytocin is higher and so are the endorphins. And that's why kind of like often the rhythm will be like start out somewhat slow and then build up, build up, and it gets more, 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 more intense. But when you're starting, you've got to feel safe to say no. Yes. Got to feel safe to know if you're worried about saying no, it's very hard to experience a buildup of oxytocin, which means it's hard to experience desire or pleasure because your body is saying, no, you're not safe to say no. Wow. I have no, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I have never put those two processes in that same kind of trajectory before. And that makes so much sense. Yeah. Yes. So um, I can come to that other point now. Yes. (laughs) I wrote it down. Bonding and difference in social status. Yes. So in our society, we do very little to help people deal with difference. In fact, we create identities to help people recognize similarity or sameness Mm -hmm. and be attracted to that. And we also create um, like rupture between groups of different identities, which keep them farther apart. And there's a lack of bonding. Right. And to be able to feel bonded, one of the things that we really have to do is what we were just talking about, Mm -hmm. create room for difference. Yes. And so when when you know i am interacting with someone and i'm realizing wow we really have different social status you know i'm a white woman and i might be speaking with a a person of color it's very significant for me in my role in my privileged role there to really understand that while some of the things are really exciting to me that we're talking about, we're both relating about being moms, for instance, and maybe, you know, in the same time of, of parenthood, Mm -hmm. it's very significant for me to not do that thing where I just um, pretend the differences don't exist. Right. For me to make space to really listen Mm -hmm. and learn about what, she or they are experiencing and not be afraid to ask questions and also not be afraid to share related to my privileges and and notice that that might be different or have a different feeling. Mm -hmm. And the more that we can connect like IRL, like really Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on who we each are and make space for the tension of differences Mm-hmm. we're going to be able to bond. Right. And in that way, we're going to be able to more truly be able to be supportive or understand what support means. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think I just, I wanted to say that because first of all, there's just so much of a lens of kind of, um, of, either equalizing everything, which is such a disservice 
We are right. not all having the same experience. Mm-hmm. And also there's not enough of um, models for how to sit in the tension of difference and be curious. Yes. Curious within ourselves. And to the extent that someone wants to share with us, curious about them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm giving that example as like two moms talking, but I think we could also say that can happen between a biological um, gestational parent and and the partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that those kinds of differences and curiosities are really significant for bonding. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. That's so important. I, I I end my my show every time with be curious, not judgmental, and I think that is obviously I think it's important because I say it every time. But I just this <laughs> thing of like. If our first reaction is judgment, that yeah. is something that is honestly sy- systemically programmed into us. We're trained to think that we're better than others and so on and so forth in certain many ways. And then also, too, it's something that can be changed if that's your goal is to to seek to live in a more curious space to recognize, OK, I just made a judgment. Let's take a step back. One, one, maybe instead of putting that as other or wrong, trying to learn more about how it came to be, why, what makes that important to you? How does that help you function in your life? And asking those questions again, as you said, though, making sure it's some, if they're willing and interested in participating in that journey with you in that conversation um, and how helpful that can be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess one other thing I would say about judgment that I really have learned um, personally is a lot of the time that I experience judgment feeling judgmental, if I really ask myself, what does that thing have to do with me? Yes. I, I get much more to the root instead of focusing on the other person, I end up realizing how I can relate to whatever I'm being judgmental about and how it's a wound that I have. And so I wish they wouldn't do it because if they didn't do it, it wouldn't hurt me so much for me to realize I do it too. (laughs) Yes, 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 absolutely that. That, and I will also say the other thing that I've noticed a lot too in a lot of podcasts and things that I've been listening to, um, we have people who recognize other people living their lives authentically and things that make them happy. And we can't have that. We want to allow ourselves to have that or society, the society, the group that we're in sees that as other or bad. And so we have that jealousy of like, well, they, I'm not allowed to do live so freely and authentically. So no one else should be allowed. Uh, to live yeah. Authentically. And it's like, focus that energy back into yourself, figure out what it is that's got you going on about it and use that in a way that's positive for yourself versus being judgmental or trying to oppress somebody else's freedom and authentic self. Mm -hmm. Very, very important point. And um, I actually was reading um, for my dissertation work um, about clinical and it's a a scholarly book called Clinical Encounters in Sexuality. Um, And one of the ways in which desire is talked about is um, that it's productive Mm-hmm. And so if we're experiencing something like envy, there's actually desire there. Mm-hmm. 
And like you're saying, rather than shutting it down or being jealous, you know, in a negative context, <clears throat> how can we be productive in noticing like, oh, wow, oh, wow, this is something that actually there's something about that freedom that that person has or the way they're allowing themselves to express that I'm totally attracted to. And I want to experience some of that. That's being in touch with your life force energy and your creativity and bringing you into places where there's like desire for generative expansion. Right. Yes. Desire is not always and doesn't have to be thought of as something that's lacking that wants to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It can totally be thought of and experienced as something that's productive and generative. Yes. For our, our fullness and our process in being. Mm. Wow. I love that. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm can't wait to listen to this episode again. And we just did, <laughs> we just recorded it, but I'm so excited to, to listen to it again. You have such a great gift for the metaphor or the analogy of things that make things just kind of click like, Oh, if you look at it that way, you can relate to this thing and therefore you can also relate to another. And so it's just been such a pleasure to be able to utilize your experiences and your expertise in a way that I think is going to help people feel like they have something kind of not necessarily tangible, but some, something kind of actionable to move forward with. Like that made sense to me. And that might be how I reframe that moving forward to make it make more sense in my life. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, you're saying something here that is really important because I'm not giving people like do these three steps and you right. will solve your problem. Right. I think that's totally counterproductive. Yeah. I do not believe in that whatsoever. <clears throat> and in some ways that might be frustrating, mm -hmm. but I guess I, I want to just, I think we're wrapping up and I want to just say, I really don't think it's helpful for people to think of um, changes in desire and changes in our bodies as pathological. They're not problems. Yes. The body is giving us invitations. Yes. And the more we can really work relationally with what's happening in our minds and with our bodies, that's where we make love. Mm. Mm. We need to you know, I guess like one other piece that, that I didn't touch upon is people of different social statuses are going to have different access to creating time and space. Yes. For self, for mm -hmm. self with baby, for parents together with baby or babies, and then also for parents together without kids. Like that takes a lot of resources and it takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of patience mm -hmm. of sitting in the mess and in the complexity and in the lack of resolve that is very necessary. And it's really not the same for people of different classes or right. um, geographies. Absolutely right. Well, somebody on my one of my previous episodes was like, we don't all have the same 24 hours. Like, Kim Kardashian has 24 hours and Beyonce has 24 hours and I have 24 hours and people I like, I, 
I don't have access to some of the things that they do. And I certainly have the privilege of having access to extensively more than other people. And so being able, once again, to not be judgmental and recognize what other people may be going through and also recognize that that's that's a very important piece of that. Yes. It's funny that you mentioned that too. I actually have said to clients before, like if I could give you a checklist of things to go do over the next week, and then you came back next week and we made some tweaks and then it's like, yeah, I magically fixed. Like I'd love to put myself out of a job, but unfortunately it's just... That's not how it works. And it really is about changing the way that we're intentional about recognizing living in the here and now and the present. Like you said, a lot getting back into the soma, recognizing different ways of thinking about things and having different vantage points. Yeah. Yeah. What's the invitation for partners during that time period? Mm-hmm. And it's not an invitation to go back to the way things were before. Yeah. And it also does not have to mean that it's not sexy. Or, um, you know, there's a lack of sexiness or anything like that, but really questioning, like, what's the invitation of our, of our romantic partnership right now? Yeah. Amazing. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time for this. Like I said, I'm already ready to re-listen to this as I edit it. I am so delighted to be able to share this information with our listeners. Um, where can everybody find you? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> um, probably the, but really the most reliable source is my website and contacting me through my website. And that's Natasha MFT.com. Um, N-A-T-A-S-H-I-A-M-F-T.com. Um, yeah. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. I can't thank you enough. Um, to everyone out there, I hope you took some time to really listen to this. Listen to it again if you need to pick up on some of the other things that we discussed. But um, everyone out there, be curious, not judgmental. Goodbye. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of Let's Discuss with Meg Duke. I'd love for you to write a review of my podcast on your app. And don't forget to subscribe so you get a notification when new content is posted. Take a moment to leave a rating, too. You can follow me at Therapy by Meg on Instagram and find Meg Duke LCSW on Facebook. You can also look for Let's Discuss content by searching the hashtag Let's Discuss with Meg. Let's Discuss with Meg Duke is executive produced by David Presley and produced by Meg Duke. Our theme song was written and performed by Antoine McDuffie.